Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join Lead Pastor Mike Wiggins with the message, Here Comes the Judge. All right. Well, when Paul started the church at Corinth, you need to know if you weren't here in the first couple weeks that he stayed there in Corinth for a year and a half discipling the new believers. And so during those awesome months, um, those, those awesome uh, 18 months, the apostle Paul, what did he do? He laid a foundation. That's so important that leaders do that in a church. And he said that the foundation that he laid at the church of Corinth was the only foundation that any church should ever have, and that is the foundation of Jesus Christ. And so in addition to laying that foundation and in addition to his central message, which, which was Jesus Christ and him crucified, he also, according to Acts chapter 18, verse 11, he taught them the word of God. And so everything was great in Corinth until the apostle Paul left Corinth. And it was sometime after he left that everything began to unravel there in the church. Now, all churches have problems, right? <laughs> But the church of Corinth had a lot of problems. And those problems included envy and strife, divisions and lawsuits, right? Christians suing Christians, immoral living, unbiblical divorces, the abuse of Christian liberties, the abuse of the spiritual gifts, the abuse of the Lord's table and doctrinal error. And so even though these people at the church of Corinth were saved, they weren't really growing as believers. And that's why the apostle Paul has to say what he says in verse one. Check it out. He says, and I, what's the next word? Okay, so they're saved. They're brothers, sisters in Christ. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to, what's the word? Spiritual people, but as to what? Carnal as to babes in Christ. Can you believe right here, the apostle Paul goes out on the limb and he's actually offensive. He calls these believers carnal. Now you need to know there's three different types of people. If you look up in chapter two, verse 14, just take a look real quick at chapter two, verse 14. He says, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. And so you have, first of all, the natural man or woman, and that is the unsaved man or woman. Okay, so that's one group of people on planet Earth. But then now look at chapter two, verse 15. He says, but he who is spiritual judges all things. And so now you have a believer who is spiritual who's following the Holy Spirit of God. They're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but the Bible says that if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So you have the natural man, that's the unsaved man. You have the spiritual man or woman, that's the Spirit-filled or Spirit-guided person. But then in chapter three, verse one, where we start today, you now have the carnal person. The carnal person is a believer. He says, brethren, okay? But the carnal person, what in the world does that mean? Well, we'll define it from the Greek. It simply means fleshly. It means a believer who's governed by mere human nature and not by the spirit of God. By the way, BLB, Blue Letter Bible, an awesome resource in your own Bible study. Now, when the New Testament talks about the flesh, when that um, a definition says fleshly there, it's not talking about our skin, okay? It's talking about our sin nature. And I always have to go back sometimes to the basics because we always have visitors that come in, people who are new to the Bible. I just met a guy who just received Christ uh, in between services. And so we wanna make sure that we always kind of go back and, and explain some of this stuff that, that a lot of you already know. Okay, so we all have a sin nature. Whether you know Christ or not, we all have a sin nature which we inherited from the first man, Adam, right? For by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for all have sinned. And so don't believe the lie of humanism that says that man is basically good. 
Man is not basically good. Man is basically selfish and sinful. And if you don't believe me, just go on over to our children's ministry and watch what happens when one two-year-old takes a toy from another two-year-old. Right? It's, ah! Right? You think the world's coming to an end. It's pound, pound, pound. It's mine, mine, mine. Okay, so why do little people and big people act that way? It's because we have a sin nature inside of us that we were born with, that we inherited from Adam. In other places in the New Testament, Paul calls the sin nature the old nature. All right, that's the bad news. The good news is that when someone hears the gospel, they turn as best they know how from their sins and they receive Christ by faith as their Savior and Lord. The Holy Spirit of God comes inside of that person and gives that person a new nature. And so now if you know Christ, you have two natures inside of you. You have an old nature from Adam and you have a new nature from Christ. Somebody says, Pastor Mike, why is the Christian life such a struggle? Because you have two natures inside of you. You have an old nature and a new nature. The old nature is battling against the new nature. The new nature is battling against the old nature. They're both battling inside of you for the supremacy of your life. And so your old nature, your old nature wants you to live for yourself to stay in your comfort zone, to satisfy yourself. But your new nature wants you to go out on a limb. Your new nature wants you to live for Christ. And it's a struggle your whole life. Now, it's kind of like having two dogs inside of you. So you've got the old nature dog and you got the new nature dog and they're fighting against each other. And the old nature dog, is, it's, it's, it's kind of like this is their, their motto, right? Life is all about the three most important people. You guys know this, right? Me, myself, and I. Satisfy yourself. Gratify yourself. Watch that, which you should not be watching. Listen to that, which you should not be listening to. Click on that, which you absolutely should not, you know better, be clicking on any of that. Right? But your old nature will say, it's okay. You know, just gratify yourself. And then you have the new nature, the new nature dog kind of sort of inside of you, right? And the new nature is saying, no, it's not about the self-life. It's about Jesus Christ. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him, right? Feed me, the new nature. How do you do that? Come on, on the first day of the week and worship the Lord in spirit and truth. Hear his word. And don't just worship and hear the word on Sunday. Man, do it all week long. Get involved in a life group where you can minister and be ministered to, pray and be prayed for, and actually use the gifts that God gives you to be a blessing and a help to somebody else. And so you have you know, these two dogs that it's kind of like they're fighting, right? right? There's a battle going inside of you. Which dog's gonna win? The one you feed the most. And if you, believer, decide that you're going to continue to feed your old nature with the self-centered philosophy of the world, everybody knows that there is a self-centered philosophy outside, right? You guys know that? There's a value system of the world that has nothing to do with this book. There's a me-first value system that's pumped to us from the TV, the internet, media, movies, magazines, if you decide to feed into that, to feed your old nature, you will be part of the group in verse one. You will be a carnal Christian. But if you decide with God's help to feed your new nature with the word of God, if you understand that a man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, if you refuse to be conformed to this world, but you want to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, if you're on your knees in the Lord's presence, right, worshiping him, praying him, feeding your new nature, then you will absolutely be a part of that group that God calls spiritual believers. And so the question is, what group do you really want to be in? Now, if you think Paul was offensive when he called these believers carnal, please notice the last part of verse one. 
He says, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but to carnal, as to, what's the word? Babes. Babes in Christ. Do you see what he's saying to these believers? You know what he's saying? Here's the modern day English. You guys are a bunch of big babies. Ouch. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. You know, sometimes we need friends in our lives who will just tell us like it is. And the worst thing that we can do is get in the flesh and put the defensive wall up and to separate ourselves from that person because we don't like what they're saying to us. The Corinthians could have done that when Paul just called them carnal and he just called them babies. And so what are some of the characteristics of a baby? Um, they're weak. Um, they cry a lot when they don't get their own way. They poop a lot. <laughs> they only drink mama's milk or formula. Okay, so what are some of the characteristics of a carnal Christian? They're weak. Ladies and gentlemen, this is one of the big burdens the Lord has given me for this body of believers is that carnal Christians would wake up and become spiritual Christians because here's why, because you'll go from being weak to being strong. Here's why I say that, because the first time a trial comes, and if you haven't gone through a trial, there's one coming. The first time a difficult trial comes when you're a carnal, weak Christian, you are gone. Why? Because you're disillusioned, why? Because you think that God is here to serve you instead of you being here to serve God. And you don't have any clue that God sometimes uses difficulty and trials to conform us and to strengthen us and to make us more like Christ. You've never been taught that. You think it's all about your health and your wealth and your prosperity. So the first time a hard time comes, you're gone. And the Lord says, no, go beyond verse one. Don't be that carnal person. Don't be that weak person. Don't be a baby. Babies are weak. Babies cry a lot. What happens with carnal Christians so often? They pout when they don't get their own way. Oh, okay, fine. What's that? It's time to grow up. Babies poop a lot. You know what happens in carnal Christians' lives? They make a lot of messes in a lot of different relationships of their life. They go from relationship to relationship to relationship, and it always ends in disaster, disaster, disaster. Well, maybe this morning, I don't know, but maybe this morning the Lord is trying to give you some hard truth to say, yes, you are a carnal Christian, but I love you, and I want you to move on to spiritual and spirituality. Carnal Christians have no appetite for the solid food, the meat of the word. The only appetite they have, if they have any appetite for the word of God, is the milk of God's word. And so that's why Paul said now in verse two, he said, I fed you with what? Milk. And not with solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive it. And even now, you're still not able. So Paul's like, hey, I want to go into the deeper truths of God's word with you. But I can't. Why? Because you're not growing up, Corinthians. And all you want is the milk of the word. All you want is the feel-good message. And so, you know, what I'll do is I'll continue to give you the basics. As babies grow, right, they eventually get teeth. And then what do they do? They progress from mama's milk to solid food. And in the same way as believers grow, we're supposed to be progressing from the basic truths of God's word to the deeper truths of God's word. Does that make sense to you guys? All right, look at verse three. Paul says, for you are still carnal, for where there is, and by the way, I, I, I know some of the Corinthians when they're reading, no, we're not, we're not carnal, we're spiritual. And so Paul says, okay, let me uh, play this out for you. For where there is envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For those who think they're so spiritual, Paul says, okay, let me give you a little test. Let me give you just some of the marks of carnality. There in verse three, he says, first of all, envy. And so can we all just put the defensive walls down for a minute? 
And can we all just be honest to the Lord because the Lord sees right through that wall anyway. And can you, like I, I'm willing to do this also, will you just, just be honest with yourself? Do you have envy in your life? And so what I mean by that is when someone else gets the promotion, when someone else gets the job, when someone else gets the attention, do you get upset inside of your heart? Do you start to worse treat that person differently because you're envious? Another mark of carnality in verse three is strife. Okay, so the question is, do you argue a lot? Do you argue a lot with your spouse? And, and, and you know, just be honest. Well, we just have discussions, Pastor Mike. Oh, really? And that's why the neighbors can hear those discussions? And, and by the way, there is never any excuse to raise your voice, guys, to your wife. You think you're, you know, all that, so you're going to raise your voice so that she'll, she'll respect you more. Let me tell you something. When you raise your voice, she always respects you less. Don't intimidate the person that you're one with. You might as well cut off your nose to spite your face. What I love about Horace Wallace, we, he's fresh on my mind. We just had his funeral, his homegoing celebration service. That was a gentle, spirit-filled man, and he treated Hyacinth for 53 years in a loving a gentle way, and there were hundreds of people that can give, um, can attest to that. Don't yell at your spouse. Ladies, don't yell back, okay? Don't argue. Do you argue with your kids all the time? You know why? One of the reasons why you argue with your kids all the time is because you do not give them, as a parent, consistent consequences, right? What happens, the reason your kid argues back with you when you tell them to do something is because they're not sure if they're really gonna get a consequence or not. And so they feel liberty to disrespect you and to argue with you when you tell them to do something. Well, can I just give you a little advice? Start giving them consistent consequences for three months. That means you have a private conversation with them about, okay, if you choose this behavior, you're gonna get this consequence. Do you understand? Uh-huh, okay. So then later on, when they choose that behavior, you give them the consequence. Now, here's what I predict. In the next three months, all hell is gonna break loose in your house. But just put your helmet on and continue to go forward and do not compromise. Just keep giving them consistent consequences. And then after three months, here's what I know. The arguing in your house is going to decrease and maybe stop existing. Why? Because they know that if they disrespect mom or dad, there's gonna be a consequence. And they're gonna go, whoop. And you're looking at me like, Pastor Mike, really? Yeah, give it a try. Arguing is a mark of carnality. Envy is a mark of carnality, but also look in verse three, divisions. Have you separated from somebody and now you refuse to speak to them? Careful. <laughs> Don't you want God to talk to you? Have you separated your, from yourself from somebody and you won't forgive them? Careful. Don't you want God to forgive you? So be really careful about separating from somebody and refusing to talk to them and refusing to forgive them. I understand that not everybody has chemistry and not everybody's gonna be a best friend. I totally get that but you gotta make sure that your heart is clear towards that person who hurt you and maybe is continuing to hurt you. And you gotta continue to forgive them 70 times seven. And by the way, whatever that answer is, that's not the answer, it's always. Just keep forgiving them because God keeps forgiving you. But when somebody is full of envy and someone's always arguing and there's always divisions, then what happens at the end of verse three, Paul says to these carnal Christians, you're behaving like, look at the end of verse three, mere men. In other words, you look like the world. And I am here to attest because I've known the Lord for a long, long time. I've dealt with thousands of people. I'm here to attest to you that some carnal Christians, you cannot tell them apart from unsaved people. They're like mere men. Now, one of the problems in Corinth is that they were dividing over their favorite Bible teacher. 
And so Paul says now in verse four, for when one says, I'm of Paul, and another says, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul? <laughs> Who then is Apollos? But ministers, That's, that word means servants, through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. He says in verse six, I planted, Apollos watered, but what's the next four words? Help me out. God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. And he who plants and he who waters are one. Okay, so Paul's saying, me and Apollos, we're, we're great friends. I don't know why you're dividing over us. We love each other. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. And I'll get to rewards in just a moment, but let me just say again, they're dividing over personalities. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. And Paul saying, hey guys, he says this in verse five, Apollos and I, we're just ministers, we're just servants. He says in verse six, you know, we're, Apollos and I are like farmers. I plant and Apollos waters. It's really no big deal to plant a seed or to water a seed. It's not a big deal. You just take the seed, you toss it on some tilled uh, ground there, and later on you come and you sprinkle some water on it. Big deal, it's not a big deal. But you know what the big deal is? Verse six is the big deal. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but here's the big deal. God gave the increase. Ladies and gentlemen, the, the big deal is not planting a seed. The big deal is not watering a seed. The big deal is when all of a sudden, by a miracle, that seed germinates and life happens and all of a sudden it begins to grow and it sprouts out of the ground and it continues to grow into a big, beautiful stalk of wheat that can nourish other people. And there's only one person I know who can do that and his name is God. He's the big deal. Not men, not women, not certain Bible teachers. God's the big deal, right? We, we should clap for the Lord right now. We gotta make sure we're praising him. And so, if you're taking notes, here's your next point. If you know Christ, praise God, because salvation is of the Lord. In your own life, think about this. In your BC days, before Christ days, someone, I remember this, someone came to you and they told you a little bit about Jesus. Okay, what happened right there? They planted a seed. And then later on, Someone comes, they tell you something else about Jesus or the gospel. What happens? They water the seed. By the way, I just heard this past week that the average Christian during their BC, BC before Christ, okay, so the average Christian in their BC days heard the gospel over seven times before they got it. That means if you have a friend or a neighbor or a, a coworker and they're just not getting it, just be patient. God's at work in their lives. And so at some point in your life, someone told you about Jesus, they planted the seed. Someone else later on watered that seed. But then on one glorious day, all of a sudden the light bulb came on for you. You remember this day? And all of a sudden what happened? God gave the increase. God saved you. God germinated, gave life to your soul. He regenerated your spirit. And all of a sudden you were born again. Is that because of some man or some woman? No, it's because of the Lord. Jonah 2.9, salvation is of the Lord. And then hopefully after that seed germinated and after you were born again, hopefully now you're growing and hopefully now you burst through the soil and now you're growing up into this big, beautiful stalk of wheat. And at some point, if it hasn't happened already in your life, you are actually nourishing other people spiritually. All of that, the glory goes to God, not to men, not to women. So Paul's trying to reframe their thinking here about their own salvation and their own growth in the Lord. And he says now in verse nine, he says, for we are God's fellow workers and you are God's field, okay? We've already talked about that metaphor and now he changes the metaphor. At the end of verse nine, he says, you are God's building, okay? He's gonna stick with this metaphor for the rest of the chapter. 
Verse 10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. So he's saying, I was there in AD 51. I started the church. I laid the foundation. Now there's other people that are building on the foundation of the church. Look at the end of verse 10. He says, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Okay, so what's going on here? Paul says, when I was with you guys for a year and a half, I laid a foundation of quality material. The foundation is Jesus Christ and him crucified. But now that I've left, here's what I'm, I'm hearing reports, and other people have come in and they're building on my foundation but they're using cheap materials. You say, cheap materials, what are you talking about? Okay, look at verse 12. He says, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, or, the inference there, or wood, hay, and straw, each one's, everybody say the next word, work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's what? Work of what sort it is. Verse 14, if anyone's what? Work, which he has built on it, on that foundation endures, he will receive a reward. Verse 15, but if anyone's what? Is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Paul, right here, right now, introduces us to an awesome event coming to our future, and that is the judgment seat of Christ. He says later on to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body, that's your works, according to what he has done, whether good or bad, that we're bad, the, the idea there is worthless. Knowing therefore the what? Terror of the Lord. He's speaking about the judgment seat of Christ there. And he says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And so what's, what's mind-boggling to me is that there are actually some believers who really think you know, they have a nonchalant attitude about the coming judgment. They really think you know, that they're gonna strut someday into the throne room of God and they're gonna say, hey, Jesus, what's up, bro? High five. What's up, dog, right? And nothing could be further from the truth. Why? Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And so for all Christians, the judgment seat of Christ is going to be an awe-inspiring event. But for carnal Christians, ladies and gentlemen, it will be a dreadful event. I'm going to explain why in just a moment. But first, let's look at three truths about the judgment seat of Christ. If you're taking notes, here's truth number one. The judgment seat of Christ will only be for believers in Christ. So you gotta get that. The judgment seat of Christ will only be for believers in Christ. Paul's subject, judgment seat of Christ, here, 2 Corinthians 5, Romans 14 is different from the great white throne judgment spoken of in Revelation chapter 20. What's the main difference? The main difference is that the judgment seat of Christ spoken of here, again, is for believers. The great white throne judgment in Revelation 20 is for unbelievers. The reason I know that is because of the verse that was up a little while ago, 2 Corinthians 5.10, writing to the church about the judgment seat of Christ, Paul says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Who's the we? 
Help me out, church family. Who's the we? Believers. Thank you. It's okay to talk in church. The we is believers. And so the judgment seat of Christ is for believers. But speaking about the great white throne judgment in Revelation 20, verse 15, John writes, and I quote, anyone not found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. And so the judgment seat of Christ takes place after the rapture in heaven. And then that's followed um, later on by a thousand year reign of Christ. And yes, I believe in a literal thousand year reign of Christ on this earth because Jesus has to fulfill all the prophecies in the Old Testament that the Messiah is the son of David and he will sit on the throne of Israel and he will reign over the world. Either, the God's, true is, either God's word is true or it's not. It's not allegorical, it's literal. Jesus is coming, he's gonna reign for a thousand years as the son of David. Then that is followed by the judgment seat of Christ. And so the Bible talks about how the dead are raised and the sea gives up their dead. And what happens is they're judged. And then it says death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. If you have never turned from your sins and given your life to Jesus Christ, I implore you to do that so you can escape the judgment seat of Christ. So you can escape the second death. The second thing I wanna share with you today about the judgment seat of Christ is that we will not be judged for our sins, but for our works. There's a word that I had you continue to repeat as we read through the passage. Work, 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 right? And so let's look at it one more time in verse 13. He says, each one's work will become clear. If you see, if right now you're looking at verse 13, can you just say amen so I know you're with me here? All right, so each one's work will become clear. It doesn't say each one's sins will become clear. And that was so important to me, I actually wrote in the margin of my Bible, not sins, but works. All Christians, new believers, old believers, whatever, all of us have got to nail down this truth in our minds and hearts, and that is, that Christ was already judged for our sins. You see, Christ, as he hung on the cross, received the wrath of God against the sins of humans, of all mankind, your sin, my sin, everybody's sin. Christ received that judgment. Christ received that wrath. He paid for our sins. And so here, here we go again. When someone turns from their sin, the best way they know how, and by faith they receive that payment, they receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord, what happens right there is that the Lord forgives all their sins. Past, present, future, all of them are under the blood. That word again, justified, just as if I've never sinned. Psalm 103.12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. Like all the way from the east, let's say New York City, all the way to the west, San Francisco, 2,900 plus miles, that far, I believe even farther, God has removed your sin away from you. And so you don't ever have to worry about your sins. Thank God for his grace. Can we thank him right now for his love and his grace? And you know what? Church family, I love you, but man, if, if I knew that I never have to stand in judgment for anything that I've ever done wrong because of the love and grace of Jesus, I think I'd clap a little harder than that. I think I might even shout and praise the Lord. We should. And so, hey, if you're a believer, you're, God's not gonna bring up your sins in the judgment seat of Christ, but he is absolutely gonna bring up your works. And all of heaven is going to see whether or not you're going to get a reward. And that leads you to your third point about the judgment seat of Christ. At the judgment seat of Christ, the quality of our works will be determined. And some are going to receive rewards and others, they're going to receive loss. I am so ready to jump out of my skin because this is going to happen. As sure as you're going to go home and eat lunch today, that's going to happen. 
And my question is, are you ready for that? Are you even preparing for that a little bit? First of all, look at the first part of that point. The quality of our works are going to be determined. You say, where do you get that from? Look uh, at the end of verse 13. And the fire, that's the, the fiery judgment of Christ's discernment, right? The fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Look that up in the Greek. You find that word means quality. So the main question of the judgment seat of Christ is not so much the quantity of our works, though that is important. The main question is the quality of our works. And so in describing this, Paul uses a metaphor. The metaphor that he uses has to do with the building of a building and what materials are used when you build a building. And so wise builders, when they get ready to build a house or a building, what do they do? They use quality materials. They use gold, silver, precious stones. The idea there is not, is not jewels, but it's like stuff like granite, stuff that lasts, right? That's what wise builders do. And no doubt Paul is thinking about the temple as he's writing this. But foolish builders, when they construct a building, they, they cut corners, right? You guys all know people who cut corners, when they're building houses. And what did they do back in the first century? They would use stuff like wood and they would use hay and they would use straw. And so the question is this, when a fire breaks out, what's gonna happen? Which building's gonna burn down? The one made of quality materials or the one made of cheap materials? Cheap materials. The, the building with quality materials it's going to remain, but the building that was built with cheap materials is going to burn to the ground. Okay, so let's apply this to our own lives. The, the, the foundation of your life is Jesus Christ and him crucified, I hope. That's your salvation. The question is, since you received Christ as your Savior, what have you been building your life on? What kind of works? What is the quality of the materials that you have been building your life on? So I want everybody, as best you know how, to try to picture the judgment seat of Christ here. All right, just try to, I know it's hard, right, to do, we know something from the Bible, and so imagine, all of a sudden, you see all these believers, because it's for believers, and they're getting ready to walk into the throne room of the Lord of glory, the uncreated Son of God. And some of them are gonna walk in and they're going to be evaluated for how do they live their life since they received Christ. What sort, what quality was the works that they did for the Lord? And some of these believers are going to have works like gold and silver and precious stones. In other words, they will present to Christ works they did. Listen, listen, listen. For Christ's glory and for his gratification. They're going to be able to honestly stand before the Lord after they get up off their face, right? They're going to be able to honestly stand before the Lord and say something like this, Lord, I didn't live a perfect life. You know that. But the works that I did, I did them for your glory. I did them for your gratification. I tried to keep self out of the way. And so I understood that for by grace I'm saved through faith, and that's not of myself, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And, and, and so I understood that I don't earn my way to you. I received the, your free gift of salvation, right? But then verse 10 of Ephesians 2, I understood that I was God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which you prepared, Lord, before the foundation of the world for me to walk in. And so I discovered that through prayer on my knees and through time in your word, I discovered what your will was for my life. And I didn't try to live somebody else's life. I, I lived what you called me to do, Lord. And I did the works that you prepared before the foundation of the world. And I always checked my heart as best I knew how to make sure I wasn't doing that for self-centered reasons. And as those works pass through the fire of Christ fiery judgment. They're going to come forth as gold and silver and precious stone. And that guy is going to be able to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. It's going to be an awesome day, a wonderful day. Now, at that time, 
those faithful Christians are going to receive rewards. We saw that in our passage. And those rewards are going to be enjoyed in the kingdom age. Now, you got to know something about your pastor. I'm so glad that our philosophy is go verse by verse because my hobby horse is eschatology. And so if I was a every Sunday topical preacher, you guys hear, hear about end times all the time. So I'm so glad that I had the discipline of going verse by verse so I can stay with God, God's word and just talk about eschatology at times like right now. But eschatology, that's the study of end time events. I, I love it. I've loved it ever since I got saved when I went to Bible college. And when I, w- I took a class on eschatology, it was an eight credit hour class because the book was that thick. I still have it on my shelf today. The book was called Things to Come by Dwight Pentecost. He is now with the Lord. But as you probably know, the Christian community has all these different views about end times. And so he, with much uh, scholarly work, goes through all the different positions that Christians believe, and then he refutes them with what the Bible truly says. And so I have had this um, eschatological position, this end times position in my heart ever since I was in my early 20s, and I never changed for a second. I was so happy in 1999 when I walked into a Calvary Chapel and fell in love with Calvary Chapels. I was so happy that their end times beliefs is exactly what I've always believed since my early 20s. And so when you look at what the Word of God says, here's what you need to know. The next prophetic event on God's calendar is the rapture of the church. He's going to take us out of here. Some believers, some believers, they will mock you right now for clapping at that. The word rapture is not even the Bible. Well, you know, the, the, the Latin word in the Latin Vulgate, when you translate it, is rapturo, and it means to snatch up, and so you get the idea, we're going to get snatched up. If you want me to say snatched up, I'll say snatched up. But the Bible says we're going to be snatched up. Okay? And God has not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has already absorbed the wrath of God. We don't have to go through the wrath of God on the earth during the tribulation period. And so there is the rapture of the church. Then after that is the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to stand before the Lord eyeball to eyeball, and we're going to give an account of our lives up to the Lord. And then after that is the second coming. We're going with him down to the earth. Then Jesus is going to establish his millennial kingdom. And here's, here's my point right here. If your works during the judgment seat of Christ endured the fiery judgment of Jesus' discernment and came out as gold, silver, and precious stones then you will receive rewards, you will receive crowns, you will receive authority, and you will be able to serve Jesus in his kingdom. Luke chapter 19, verses 17 through 19. Jesus says some people are going to reign over 10 cities. Other people are going to reign over five cities. You said, I thought I was going to sit on a cloud for all eternity and strum a harp with a halo over my head and be bored out of my mind. Nothing could be further from the truth. You will be active participant in the millennial kingdom, serving and enjoying the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's going to be an awesome time. An awesome time. Yesterday, I joked at the funeral uh, service that I preached at, you know, Horace Wallace, a former elder here at the church, we did his homegoing service, and Horace comes from Jamaica, and that man, after he received Christ, he lived for the Lord. My goodness, he lived for the Lord. And I made the comment in my sermon yesterday that I really think Jesus is going to give Horace at least 10 cities to govern. And then I said, maybe he'll rule over all Jamaica, right? (laughs) So that's the reality of what we're talking about here. But there will be other believers And they will come to the judgment seat of Christ and they will enter that throne room and they will also have works. And those works are called wood, hay, and straw. In other words, they will have to admit before the Lord that Lord, while I served on the earth in my life, 
Well, basically, I live for myself. But the times that I did serve, I did it for selfish reasons, self-centered motives. I did it just to make myself feel better or feel good. You know, went to church to check the list. Oh, I feel so much better now. I, or I did it, Lord, so I could seem more spiritual to some people than I actually was. Self-centered motives. Or I gave, you know, on Sunday morning with a motive that, you know, I wanted the big house and the big car and the big neighborhood. And I, 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 that's the reason that I gave, because I bought into the lie of the TV evangelist that if I gave, God's going to bless me with all these riches. I did it for myself. I didn't give for your glory and honor, understanding that you may bless me with material and immaterial blessings as a side benefit. That's not why I gave. I gave so I could become rich. Everything that I did, I did for self-centered reasons. And then what's gonna happen is the fire of Jesus' judgment, those works are gonna pass through and they're gonna burn up before that believer's eye. And that's why I said to you earlier that for some people, the judgment seat of Christ will be a dreadful event. Imagine if you built a house and you built a house, you've put over a year of time, sweat, money into this home. And then you and your wife, you move in. But one night while you're sleeping, you're, you're awakened by the roar of a fire, and you look around, and you find out this, this house you put so much work into is burning down before your eyes, and you manage, you and your wife, to get out the window, and you escape, but as you are standing on your road, you're looking at your life's work, and you're watching it burn and collapse before your eyes. That is kind of like what's gonna happen at the judgment seat of Christ. Carnal Christians who lived for themselves are gonna watch their life work burn and collapse before their eyes. And you might be thinking right now, well, are they going to be saved? Well, Paul answers that in verse 15. He says, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, right? He's not going to have the kingdoms, the authority, the ruling, the crowns, but he himself will be what? Saved. Yet so as through fire. Salvation is not the question of the judgment seat of Christ. That's already been paid for by Jesus on the cross. They're saved. The question is the works. And so are you walking in the works that God foreordained for you? Are you asking his spirit to empower you as you do those works? And are you checking your heart to make sure that those works are done for one reason and one reason only, the glory of Jesus Christ? We're going to read through and finish this up. And so look at verse 16, please. He says, do you, and he's speaking not to individuals here, he's speaking to the whole church of Corinth. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Now, again, you gotta, don't misinterpret this, okay? He's talking to the whole church. He's saying, you're the temple of God. Later on in chapter six, the, the Greek grammar changes. He's talking to the individual. But for right now, he's talking to the whole church. And he's saying, you're the temple of God. And if anyone comes in and defiles the temple, the church, God's gonna destroy him. What is he saying here? Real quick, he built the foundation of Jesus Christ and him crucified, and then he taught the word of God to them for a year and a half, and he left. Other people came in, and they built on that foundation with cheap materials like wood, hay, and stubble. And so what happened was that false teachers got into Corinth, and they're not teaching the word of God. They're teaching the doctrines of men, and they are, they are defiling the church. And God says through Paul in verse 17, if you do that, God will destroy you. Verse 18, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. 
For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are what? Futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men. And so again, here's the context. These leaders that came in after Paul left, they're allowing the culture to come into the church. They're teaching the philosophy of the world, which is the self-centered man is the center Right? They think that through human reason that they can figure out life and how to do life and eternity and eternal truths. And so what he's saying here is that all that is foolishness to God. And then he says at the end of verse 21, for all things are yours. Believers in Corinth, verse 22, whether Paul, Apollos, Cephas, the world, life, death, things present, things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. The judgment seat of Christ is coming. The question is, are you prepared for that judgment? One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com and click on Knowing Christ.